Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International, first of two hours of Ghost Chronicles Radio. I am Ron Kolick, your host, gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me all the way from the land of the Red Dragon is the gold standard and ghost hunting Steve Parsons. Have you forgotten your script tonight? No, I've got. Uh, it's, you it's sound like distracted. A, it is. It's a weird thing. I'm. I've got a headset uh, on the laptop, and the main screen here is. Uh, we can't find you connect. I don't know. It's like. Uh, anyway. Nah, it technology. Is. You don't need it. <clears throat> I don't know. No. Waste of time. Have you gone? Oh, well, it's just me then. <laughs> it's not usual. So moving on. Um, yeah, well, I suppose we should we should do the um, the powering news whilst uh, Ron sorts out his headset. And foremost is, of course, the release of the Society for Psychical Research. Open brackets found in 1882. Close brackets. That most eminent research organization in the world dealing with paranormal topics uh they have a new publication are you back they have a new publication coming out this week uh imminently imminently it's off to the printers this week um and it's it's a set of um guidance notes and i stress guidance notes for those we need guidance uh this is specifically uh for those investigators who use um a lot of equipment um, and this actually was born out of a out of a need that was highlighted by the investigators themselves. In 2018, the Society for Psychical Research, open brackets 1882, close brackets, uh, released a re-released or released a rewritten version of the general guidance notes, which are a set of foundations of good practice for investigators of uh, ghosts, hauntings, poltergeists, and similar phenomena. Um, and during the release of that uh, short, short 60-page book, um, there were a lot of questions asked about equipment. Now, there is a chapter, one chapter, about eight or nine pages, that deals with equipment in the original general guidance notes. Um, but there were so many questions. What's the right piece of equipment to use? Where's the best place to put the equipment? How do I interpret the data from the equipment? Um, how can the equipment help me with the investigations? And so the society decided uh, to try and answer some of these questions and to give some guidance by commissioning a new set of guidance notes, which are coming out in, yes, we can hear you, um, which are due out in the next week or two. They're at the printers uh, today. The lovely maroon cover, apparently. 
and uh yeah well, very exciting times although the author is a bit of a bad monkey because the original um, brief from the spr was to try and deal with the because the last set was 66 pages so the submission for the new guidance notes for the equipment uh, was estimated to be uh, a little bigger it was thought that we'd probably need about 75 pages the book's gone to the printers it has 180 pages you certainly can't say that the author of the new uh, publication isn't thorough um, so yeah we're all excited about that can't wait to get that one on sale and to um, try and help with some interesting bits of guidance and uh, it's been a it's certainly been a, a um, for me at least a month of books because only a couple of weeks ago uh, the revised edition of ghostology um, was released um, this was actually the need for this was born during the writing of the equipment guidance notes because um, looking revisiting a lot of the equipment um led me to realize how much it's moved on you know every every camera sensor has grown grown uh, a fresh crop of megapixels and um you know we've got interesting new new sexy sensors uh, coming onto the market we have lidar which is a light distancing and ranging sensor not that dissimilar to one that is fit to a similar arrangement of sensors that's fitted to the um the connect but this one's fitted to your mobile phone and so it became somewhat apparent that uh, not only the equipment but also the methodology has, has um changed you know a few years ago emf meters were all the rage um but now you know although evp has always been popular now it's very much king of the king of the uh new you know the king um, communicating with the dead is one of the cornerstones now of the investigator investigators you know they they have adapted and adopted uh, get items with um, guitar effects pedals um, with lights even the, the even the good old k2 emf meter uh, and the uh, the cell sensor have been pressed into service as spirit communication devices. So all of that needed to be addressed, and it seemed logical, um, overdue in fact, for ghostology um, to also be revised. And so during lockdown, thank God for COVID-19, I say, because um, another big project, you know, you think, oh, I've all, all, all he had to do was to change a few uh, camera sensor details, change the iPhone uh, that were referred to from the iPhone 6 to the iPhone 12. Jobs are good and, and we're all happy and it can go off to the printers. Not a bit of it. Yeah, once you start doing something like this, you quickly realise just how much else needs to be changed and altered. And um, basically it took almost the entirety of 2020 probably would have uh, taken even longer but for the fact that we were all locked in the house and had nothing better to do with ourselves so once the kids were um, bound with duct tape every morning uh, meant I could sit at the computer and hack away at the keyboard cover the screen of the uh, the iMac with uh, duct uh, with uh, tipex 
and make all the necessary amendments. So that one came out and to try and delineate it from the earlier edition with its famous notorious lurid green cover and comedic ghost um, rather than waste too much time redesigning the cover I just played around with Photoshop and changed the background to blue and asked the printer uh, asked the publisher what he thought he disagreed and so it's blue and it looks rather splendid and it's now available on Amazon as indeed will be the SPR publication when it gets released you can already get the earlier edition of the guidance notes on um, on your amazon it's available only on kindle if you want a printed version then you're going to have to go to the spr website and they will send one out wherever you are in the world uh, no we can't hear you ron um I see you typing but obviously we can't hear you which means i've got to waffle on for a bit longer um so i was having to read today um, I was doing a little research and I I was reminded uh, and when he gets back um, he will no doubt remind us why I was reminded of a former member of the Society for Psychical Research, open brackets, founded 1882, closed brackets uh, British born um, but American citizen, uh, Heroward Carrington, you can't get a better um more British name than Heroward. Although uh, he was actually born on the island of Jersey uh, back in 1880 and emigrated to the US in 1888. Um, eventually settling in New York in 1904 uh, and then eventually, um, although previously lived in Minnesota, wherever the heck that might be. Uh, started out as a skeptic about psychical abilities and grew from reading and his, the interest grew from reading books on the subject. And at the age of 19, uh, he joined the Society for Psychical Research. And uh, just a few years later, in fact, 1907, uh, he he became one of the early members of the American Society for Psychical Research, working with the other uh, with the psychologist and investigator James Hislop, um, during which time he managed to establish himself as one of the leading ASPR psychical researchers and investigators. Um, however, he had to eventually sever his connection with the ASPR after it ceased due to lack of funds. Uh, one of the most notable uh, cases that or people investigated was Eusapia pa hello was Eusapia Palladino you can hear me now I can hear you now we're just talking about Eusapia I was just talking about Heriwood Carrington yes um, um, because you you piqued my interest in 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 Heriwood. and so uh, whilst you were fannying about with your headset I thought I would introduce the listeners to Heriwood a fine okay. upstanding British gentleman Although an American citizen. So no. there we are. That's where we're oh, up you to. You introduced them. That's all. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so why did I have to introduce you, say, uh, Her you say Her Heroward Carrington? Yes. Anyways, uh, Maureen is moving. So she was having a yard sale. So I went down to visit her. And, uh, and I had something to return to. I borrowed her crystal skull for the 
paranormal workshop I was doing. But anyways, uh, I returned it and uh, I picked up a few items. But she also gave me some neat items. And one of the items she, she gave me, first of all, she gave me this wicked uh, two very cool Ouija boards. One is hers that she's used since she was a kid. And then the other one was a uh, special one, a cryptique one, which was uh, designed and, and manufactured for Bob Smirch, who is, is one of the great gods of Ouija in this country. Uh, and uh, in 2005, I did a... Uh, a, con a uh, convention out in North Adams at the Haunted Hooten Mansion called uh, Contact. And he donated uh, about a dozen Ouija boards of, of cryptic Ouija boards for uh, the event. And everybody got some, you know, we gave away bars and I had one left for myself. And that after it was all over, uh, Maureen says, oh, I, I really want one. So I gave her my it. And ever since that day, I've been kicking myself in the ass for it. So at the yard sale, she gave me my Ouija board back. So I was happy with that. But one of the things she did give me was this lovely hard-covered book called Psychic Oddities by Harewood Carrington. Harewood. Yeah, whatever. Carrington. And uh, it's a, a wicked, it's a first edition. It's, it's got some lots of cool little things in it, little uh, flyers about the author in it and I mean, it's you touch it and it's just about ready to fall apart. And also, this is little flyers about uh, the American uh, Psychical Institute of uh, 1145 Vine Street, Hollywood, 38, California. That's how old it is. That's how they they wrote it. No zip codes. Hollywood, 38, California. And it lists. Uh, it's a cute little thing. It says uh, some facts you should know about psychic phenomena. So anyways, I got those and I got the book, but the book is extremely interesting. It's got all these little neat things in it. And uh, Stephen, I thought we'd talk about some of them. Well, and, before we do, yes. um, one of the other things that you had, uh, because you asked me, had I ever heard of the API, the American Psychical Institute? And I hadn't. So, of course, I had to find out more about them. Founded in 1921 by Harrowood Carrington. And it consisted of a laboratory. Uh, now, this we always talk about Harry Price and the NLPR, the National Laboratory for Psychical Research, which comes right. along in 24, 25. 1921 means that Carrington uh, and his laboratory was the very first to really? investigate psychical phenomena preceding the NLPR. Um, wow. Originally, it only operated for two years. Um, so 21, 22, 23, uh, but he later reconstituted it in 1933 uh, in New York City, uh, aided and assisted by his wife, Marie. Henry Gilroy was the executive director for the next five years. In 33, the Canadian political leader, uh, former prime minister, William Lyon Mackenzie King, joined the institute under the oh, name yeah. of M.K. Venice. And in 35, together with the other notable SPR um, researcher, Nandor Fodor, released a bulletin through the Institute entitled Historic Poltergeists. And that bulletin became the basis of their joint book, Haunted People, which was published in 51. 
the book that you're to oh, he also investigated Mina Crandon anyway uh, the book you're referring to um, Psychic Oddities it was published in 1952 and was yeah, almost yeah. almost well it was his third to it was his third to final work uh, 54 came Mysterious Psychic Phenomena um, and his final book which was published posthumously I think was it when did he die 58 was it Got me. Oh yeah, yeah. Fifty-eight, he died. Um, so fifty-seven. His final book was entitled. He says, "The Case for Psychic Survival," mm. and Fodor demonstrated the impossibility of psychic survival by snuffing it the following year. There you go. There you go. There you go. So did the he, book. Did he survive? No. 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 Snuff it. So, snuff it is a British colloquialism, which means gone, <laughs> dead. Kick the bucket. And the book is divided up into several chapters. The first one is cases, which lists the whole pile of cases. Second, mediums I have known. The third is famous researchers I have known. Fourth, which I thought was... Probably not. I don't think you were born then. Uh, The fourth, which is... I find interesting because most people don't think of this. Lloyd does, but, uh, and I've had the opportunity to work too. Magicians I have known. Yeah. Carrington wrote a number of magic books. Yes. And then uh, that's the first part. And the second part is divided up into experience reported by others. And so it's a, a really neat book. Uh, I, I, I'm so glad that uh, Maureen gave it gave it to me. And oh, by the way, happy birthday, Maureen. Uh, uh, it is her birthday today on top of it. So it's kind of apropos that we do this today. And oh, while I forget. Yes, yeah, synchronicity. Or uh, I don't know. Maybe it was. Uh, what's that word that psychics used? Uh, you know, guiding spirits or something. I don't know. Anyway. So. One of them really caught my eye in the book, and I, I, I have to tell you about it. I was going to tell you about it today when I Skyped you, but uh, we saved it for the thing. And it's called Radioactivity and Ghosts. Ooh, I like radioactivity, and I like ghosts. There you go. In this I get the, book, do I need to get the Geiger counter out now? Oh, probably. I might be glowing right now. In this book, Adventures of a Modern Occultist. Do you have that book? Uh, nope. By Mr. Oliver Bland. Nope. Uh, he tells a fast, ta- fantastic That's two story. books you found that I don't have. Mm. <laughs> he tells a fantastic story of a malignant haunting spirit, which he disintegrated by means of radium Ooh. exposed in the presence of the phantom. Wow. So you want to know how he did this? Yeah, I've got radium. Yeah, I know. We could. We we've got the next. Uh, what do they call that thing on Ghostbusters? Forget uh, the Ghostbusters. Proton pack. Proton pack. Forget, well, forget Ghostbusters. We could. We could be the next um, Tennessee Wraith chasers. Oh, there you go. So the <laughs> energy charge. We're gonna gather around and do prayer. Hmm. Boom. The energy charge tube glowed in the dark. With yeah. all the beauty of intensity of phosphorescence, and as I held it, and I'm, this is from the, his experience, and as I held it from an arm's length 
towards the pillar of the semi-materialization, which is talking about the spirit, that represented all the evil forces of disnacotted hate. The mist of vapor rolled away. As if by magic, the whole apparition was dissipated. In 20 seconds, as it had been if it never had been there, he asserted that he based this experiment upon the statement made by a noted occultist in the presence of radium salt, ghosts cannot manifest. And this is his conclusion. Uh, while we cannot perhaps take this account too seriously, there may be more than a grain of truth in suggestion that it would be at least interesting to try out if on some future occasion when a genuine materialization seemed to be witnessed for in this in this subject who can say what possible uh results may or may not happen you know that i i find that fascinating because because as you know in this office are a number of apparently haunted objects oh we never right yeah interspersed amongst them are quite a, a large collection of radioactive objects in fact the office actually has a radon gas detector on the floor as um, well as should with the whole radium around yeah to make sure it's safe mm-hmm. now not not once has have any of these the killer doll or any of the other radio um haunted items caused a problem in the office uh-huh could it be could it that I've already that I've puffed them away with the radon gas that's in, and uh, and the radium and the radiation and the magic moonbeams that are coming off these radioactive items? Makes Very you think. Well, could be. Makes I you know. think. Hmm. Things hmm. that make you go. Hmm. Have you got Have you got an old uh, West clocks alarm clock? I anyway? do. I do. Put it next to the iguana and that photograph. Oh. Good thinking. Because you might just... The you know iguana, that damn, I've got like hundreds... Well, not well hundreds, you know, you know that damn space. photograph that causes yes. so much trouble? Yes. Stick it, Stick it underneath the radium... Underneath I mean, the West co- clocks. We all know that COVID is the result of that photograph. Now it's 5G. Oh, yeah. Anyway, if you stand, stand there... Get, just get the photograph. Put mm-hmm. Lay it down. Stand the alarm clock on top of it. Mm-hmm. And see Do what you know happens. How, by the way, you know how dangerous that is, uh, the, the radium. Uh, there's a, an interesting story that, you know, they used to have, uh, well, you, they used radium intensely back in the, in the day, mm-hmm. back in mm-hmm. the early days. And I loved radium. Oh, it was in everything. It glowed everything. the dark. I mean, how can you beat that? <laughs> well, do you know? Charged it up, right? At well, night only, the- only really our generation and older will ever have seen the real glow of a radium clock dial. That's because because the lifespan of the radium, or, or actually it's of the the zinc paint that's that that glows, not the radium. The radium doesn't glow; it just ionizes the the zinc paint. Um, but we don't use it. We haven't used it now for about thirty years or so. Um, the Russians continued, you know, there was, there's, um, but the actual radium glow fades after about forty or fifty years. And that's due to the breakdown of the zinc paint, not the radium, not the um, the radium uh, material. 
So, um, to, an so, interesting story regarding that, Steve, is yeah. that as I mentioned, th- th- these were on all the uh, clocks, and you know uh-huh. that, and, and many yeah. other things as well. Well, you might ask your house how how they got on those dials of the clocks and everything else. Well, they were painted on by women, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what happened is There's the a movie woman, about that. The woman would take and they'd put their the their their uh, brushes in their mouths, and what ended up happening is they were losing teeth. Their bone density was thing. They had ended up with terminal diseases, and they uh, eventually, uh, when they discovered this, they they sued the uh, the company. I forget what it's called. The maybe the American uh, Radium Company or whatever it was. But anyways, they sued them because they had a, a memo that said uh, advising all the top executives never to go near the or touch the radium that was being used. And they ended up the settlement for ten thousand dollars a piece for each of those women that painted the uh, they, things. It, it wasn't actually. It wasn't just the fact that they were dipping the brushes, you know, licking the brushes and then dipping mm. them, so they could get this very fine line up with the sable right. brush. Um, but they didn't understand what this material they were handling was, um, right. and what they were, you know, and the glow was, you know, it, it was magical. Yeah, and what and what these women would do yes, in addition they to they would they would decorate themselves. Um, they would paint their their nails with radium. They yep. would they would um, they would paint themselves with radium. Um, yeah, and just just as a, a as an example, radium was so expensive that it was a, I think a thousand times more expensive than gold. Um, wow. You know, but they only you you only require a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of it. Um, I I have one of the original um, radium clocks. They're one of the very first models that was ever made. Uh, And therefore it was painted by one of these unfortunate ladies. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's what's uh, interesting about it is. for modern purposes of storage, it has to be at all times sealed in a box, sealed in um in plastic, so that it's mm-hmm. airtight, and then inside uh, two other containers. It's not the fact that the radioactivity itself is dangerous. It's you know it's it's relatively low grade radioactivity. Uh, the problem is as the over the decades. The zinc paint has broken down. It's been burnt off effectively by the radium underneath mm. it, um, and has become this this airborne dust that emits mm. alpha particles. Now, alpha particles can't even penetrate. Well, we're going to have to hold on that, Steve, because yeah. we have to take a break. So, anyway, well, I was you're watching the clock. Well, not really. <laughs> oh, well, I only had seven seconds left. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Steve Parson and Ron Kolick right here on Tojanet and Parrax Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in North Andover, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Patreon, on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. So we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? 
then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Welcome back to part two of Ghost Chronicles International. The first two hours of magical Ghost Chronicles. I guess so. Anyway, so I'm going to give a shout out to a listener yeah. in Germany. Uh, she is uh, Tez, who is the sales manager for the Amnico uh, Eagle Mine Company. And uh, so I've given her a shout out today as well. Guten Abend. Yeah. Guten Tiger. Oh, that's day, evening, good and afternoon. Yeah, afternoon. Well, it's afternoon, well, it's evening. It's afternoon. Well, yeah. They say good, good and night. Good and morning, so it's morning. Now it's tomorrow, so good and night is good night. Oh, good nothing. Anyway. Anyway. So, back to. Uh, hey, England play Germany in the European Psych- football. That's terrific. Psychic Oddities by Hayward uh, mm. uh, Carrington. Anyways, you'd be looking up Geiger counters. So, uh, you know that I've been working uh, or doing uh, research on red red light sands. Yeah. And uh, uh, for over eight years now, we've been holding it regularly. So there's an article here that's uh, also piqued my interest. And it's called Candle Flames That Don't Behave. Uh, this is during one of D.D. D. Holmes' famous seances. Do you know D.D. Holmes? Oh, absolutely. Daniel Douglas Hume. It's not Home, it's Hume, by the way. What do you mean it's not Hume? The name H-O-M-E. is spelled, yeah, spelt H-O-M-E, pronounced Hume. By who? It's a Scottish name. Don't ask me why. It's, uh, it's His no name more. is Daniel Douglas Hume. Say no more. Anyways. During one of uh, Dee's uh, famous seances, the table... Uh... <laughs> you cheapskate. <laughs> <laughs> the table around which the investigators were sitting around tilted violently in various directions. But although several objects were upon the table, none of them slid off and fell to the floor as Duct they tape. would normally do. Duct tape. Still more extraordinary was the fact that a lighted candle, which would have been placed in the middle of the table, tilted similarly 
at a similar angle, but the flame, instead of rises straight upward as it would as if the candle itself uh, stood, um, it also went straight out at a 45 degree angle instead of ri rising perpendicularly. Uh -huh. So anyways, uh, and this is uh, another curious candle case is reported by uh, Reverend D.W.G. Gwen Phantasms of the Living. And yes. after every, you know Phantasms. that one? Well, I've got the copy of Phantasms of the Living, yeah, by Carrington. So page 202 to 203. Anyways, uh, I now... So this is uh, his thing. I now come to a mutual experience of something that is fresh in its impressions as if it, the occurrence was uh, yesterday. Uh, during the night, I became aware of a draped figure passing along the foot of my bed towards the fireplace. It had an impression that its arm was raised, pointing with its hand towards the mantel on which the nightlight was burning. Uh, Mrs. Gwen, at this moment, seized the man's arm, ooh, and the light was extinguished. Mrs. Gwen confirms uh, the story, adding, I distinctly saw the hand of the phantom placed over the nightlight, which was uh, at once extinguished. Maybe here, the ghost didn't like the light. Here, the only normal explanation seemed to be that a gust of wind blew out the flame at the very moment when the hand of the phantom appeared to cover it. But it must have. But I must have to admit, the long arm of coincidence is extended somewhat unduly, especially in view of several similar cases which have been reported. So. Ghosts can put out candles, evidently, too. Apparently they can. Uh, so can magicians, by sleight of hand. And Carrington, Carrington was, was um, a notable magician. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, he's reporting on this. He's not doing... No, I, no, I, no I'm aware yeah. of that. I'm aware yeah. of that. Mm. Yeah. Um, so actually, I, I mean, candles, candles do feature... Um, well, but I mean, the thing... I, Steve, I, I'm sorry, but... Don't you use them in your... Seances. Yeah, but we have to, we suspend hours from the ceiling. And because, as you know, the table tilts at times and stuff and things move around uh -huh. and they don't stay on like this one. This is why, why that one was extremely intriguing for me. I wonder if there, there are there other cases that you are aware of? Um, there, there are certainly, I mean, involving candles, yes. Um, uh, we have for you. I mean, I'm not even gonna. We've done the corpse candle, that's not related. Um, talking about physical candles and candle flames. Um, right. One, one example that has been, uh, it's periodically appeared on YouTube and it, because it featured on a television program, uh, oh, no. where, where during a ghost hunt, a candle, a lit candle placed in the middle of a table in a haunted room, uh, the candle flame. Um, when extinguished, the candle would apparently relight itself or the flame would appear to jump off the candle. You, you do know they have trick candles. No, no, this wasn't. This was a perfectly ordinary candle. Okay. Um, the candle flame appeared to rise off the wick, um, mm. rising several inches above the wick oh. uh, be before then descending back onto the wick. And uh, they 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 claimed, of course, that this was paranormal. Um, 
and it didn't take long before somebody came along and demonstrated with a perfectly ordinary wax candle that this effect can happen and what it is of course is immediately above the the flame is a very hot column of uh highly flammable gas yes and under certain circumstances depending on the, the particular candle design um this the gas itself catches light um and then the flame tracks back down the gas path and relights the wick and this process can be repeated uh, fascinating to but one of the devices that we did uh re, going on to flames mm-hmm. uh, c- continuing that theme one of the most interesting experiments that i've ever heard of regarding flame was um one because it was often you know one of the things that was you hear said at seances is calling out for if you are here and you are a real apparition can you and we had just heard from nandor uh, can you extinguish the flame uh, are you a fake apparition? Can you extinguish the flame? <laughs> well, if you are, if you are a genuine, you know, <laughs> extinguish the flame. And of course, sometimes the, you know, it was perfectly possible for some magicians to extinguish the flame using right. um, breath and sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so this enterprising, this was back in the 1920s. So around the era of Carrington, this enterprising group of researchers. Um, took along a miner's lamp yeah. uh, into a situation where one of the, you know, oh, this ghost can extinguish a flame. Well, here's one in a miner's lamp. Get them to extinguish that. And of course, for those who ex- don't know, explain what a miner's lamp is, uh, Steve. Please. I'm fairly sure that everybody is familiar with a miner's lamp. A miner's lamp is a sealed, it, it's Not used underground. Oh, okay. It's used underground in um, inflammable atmospheres. Um, the Davy lamp, it's sometimes called, and oh, the, yeah. the 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 light, the, the naked flame is contained behind a a glass um, cover, mm-hmm. and it burns and and it draws oxygen through two layers of gauze, metal gauze, and the the gaps in the gauze are small enough to allow oxygen to pass through, but um, too small to allow flammable uh, methane gas to penetrate. Oh, and clever. so you you can have the flame you also it, it it's impossible to blow one out they're, they're kind of like a storm lantern and it there have been groups who've also used you know storm lanterns um mm-hmm. to to you know as a similar ghost challenge now here comes the clever part because um the group went this was done in yorkshire yorkshire england uh, which is a mining community oh. and the group the group who had issued this challenge to the specters to put out the miner's lamp to extinguish the flame were confronted with a flame that was extinguished. Oh. So, and of course, a miner's lamp, because it, it can't be, re- you know, if it does extinguish underground, you don't want the miner getting out his Trying box to of matches up, yeah. or, you know, boom. So once it goes out, you have to take it back to the surface, connect it up to a magnetic and, uh, unlocking device and open it and relight it and then reseal it and take it back again um <clears throat> so the idea was that this this lamp was placed on a the table they all left the room they came back into the room and the lamp was extinguished okay. and it was still locked okay. um well is the is the the lamp a candle or is it run by fuel it's it's run by uh, kerosene so it's kerosene. So maybe um, the kerosene ran out. 
no, no, no. They checked all of that. And um, it, it turned out, actually, an old miner who had worked for many years underground in uh, in the coal mines of, of Yorkshire um, showed them how it was done. He said, because at the end of every shift, we would come out from underground and uh, in a hurry to get to the pit baths and get ourselves cleaned up and go to the pub. Um, we we all knew the old trick of if you hit the bottom of the lamp hard enough, the flame jumps off the wick and extinguishes itself. Ah. So, um, by way so, of an experiment, so as you know. Do we know, was it valid or? Oh, it's perfectly valid. And as you know, because I demonstrated a video of one I have, um, several mm -hmm. spiritualist churches um, adopted the use of red lensed miners lamps for their seances. And that's one of those is one of the ones that I have. It's uh, a fairly mm -hmm. ordinary Davy type lamp, uh, except the glass has been replaced by red. Um, mm -hmm. And it was used to illuminate the sounds in, in the characteristic red. One of the challenges was issued to the spirits to put the lamp out. And periodically, of course, the spirit would oblige. Um, I have it. It works. Um, I filled it up with fuel. I light it. I challenge people to put it out. They blow at it. They swing it. They wave things at it. They they can't put it out. And then I ask them to leave the room for a few moments and they come back in and the flame is extinguished. Magic. Magic. Because if you hit the bottom hard enough, as every miner knows, apparently, the flame jumps off the wick and you can turn it off and put it away and go up. So sweet. It is clever. You know, we think that we've so, come up with all these infallible experiment, experiments. So the experiment was, we don't know if it, they did that or if it truly was something that was well, what normal. I find what I found what I found most interesting is the candle flame at 45 degrees from the horizontal because right. if you of course if you tilt a candle in any direction right. you'll it always melt. rises perpetually well yeah the, the flame goes vertically because the hot yeah. air you know the hot gases will always rise up mm -hmm. um so what what that would you know I there is i think a way it could be done but perhaps you would have to be a magician um because as you probably remember you can bend a flame with a magnet like you can bend water with a magnet did you no, know this you is re this is reported in dd holmes or hume's dd's experiment well hume's is one of the very few psychics who uh, who managed to withstand um testing and scrutiny he's he, he's almost unique in that respect um so possibly maybe who knows truly gifted or truly good at not getting caught one or the other mm -hmm. we don't know unfortunately incidentally going back to the society for psychical research open brackets yes, founded 1882 closed brackets they have a bronze bust of hume uh, which was presented to him, uh, presented to the society, along with um, his archive and material. And in the SPR offices down in London, um, there is this bronze bust of Daniel. And up in Scotland, I think is is his tombstone in the uh, Theosophical Society library. So where's his grave? I can't remember off the top of my head. 
<laughs> they just stole the tombstone? Well, you know, he probably had more than one. <laughs> okay. No comment. <laughs> but it does happen if you, sometimes when you move a, uh, a person, you put a new tombstone on. Yeah. Um, I mean, is it Elvis has got two or three. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, we did an investigation in Cranston, Rhode Island, where in the, in the mansion, uh, and one of the closets was the tombstone of the owner because, get uh, that screen door oiled. Yeah, I know. I'm going to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> That's the wife. <laughs> no, that was a screen door. Unless, yeah, no. unless Jamie's oh, oiling. That's actually an ironing board, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's amazing what you can hear on there because she has a TV on, yet you can't hear that. But you hear a cuckoo clock and, a, and an ironing board. I know. Interesting. I, well, yeah, I'm also trying to find out where um, where Hume is, where his where, where those remains are. Mm, interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, what had happened is he was uh, interred, and then uh, they decided to move him to the family plot, which is closer. So they dug him up, and then they gave him a new tombstone. So they, the old tombstone was in the closet of the house. <laughs> where is D.D. buried? Yeah, where's old D.D. buried? Right. Found him. Okay. He's in France. Makes sense. Scottish is in France. He's in the Saint Germain en Laye Old Communal Cemetery, Saint Germain, Saint Germain en Laye, France. Now, why would which, they bury him there? Which is because he spent most of his time in Europe. Um, yeah. Which, which is where is it? Oh, it's just outside Paris. So he's buried in Paris. He's buried about a mile from the Eiffel Tower. Don't tell me you've gone again. No, I'm here. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's about a mile from the, the Eiffel Tower. Oh, okay. So, wh- whose tombstone is in the? They take the one from Paris and ship it back. Um, I wouldn't have thought so. I wouldn't have either. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, That's but... a, it's a mystery. I shall have to. Uh, I'll. I, I shall. Um, I, I'll drop them an email and find out why they have it. Yeah, there you go. So, um, let me That's take. Thrown a curveball. Hmm, I think so. That was his most famous trick. That. Hmm. Moving his tombstone to Scotland. No levitation. Fly, fly, floating in out of windows. Okay. Historic records of levitation are, of course, numerous. Many of the uh, medieval saints and mystics have been listed, lifted from the ground in this manner, according to reports. More recently, uh, here, this is a long time ago, home uh-huh. Usapada and pa- Paladino. Usapia Paladino who was investigated by Herowood Carrington, which is a neat segue back to the start of the show. Uh-huh. In other mediums, uh, similarly levitated. If we accept their statements as reliable witnesses, I have never seen the case of this sort myself, although 
I have absorbed unaccountable losses of weight in some of the usapata uh, when she was standing on a platform uh, of a weighing machine. These were undoubtedly, uh, undoubtedly and remain unexplained. For some years, I have conducted some experiments in lifting in which many pounds were seemingly lost as shown by the scale. Here are some of uh, the, in, also some of the encountered uh, problems they had. Though I no doubt that the freak of uh, mechanics who were at work, which further uh, experiments along this line may solve. Uh, so he's saying that maybe it was the whale. Uh, it was during a walking tour across of south of England, however, that my, I myself experienced the feeling almost being levitated. My friend and I had uh, covered a distance between London and Exeter in exactly one week, about 30 miles a day. We had, uh, we had kept step most of the time and had practiced breathing in unison for a number of occasions. And although not systematically, uh, in any event, on the seventh evening, soon after arriving in Exeter, we both experienced the same sensation at the same time, which lasted about uh, for the same length of time. Uh, there were an effect that we could, we could, with a slightly additional effort, leave the ground in floating air be levitated nothing mm. of the sort actually occurred mm -hmm. but the feeling of physical ecstasy uh in an extraordinary extraordinary and was commented upon by both of us so they both felt this thing and uh it, it's certainly a never forgotten experience and uh but uh Naturally, we knew nothing that we did not levitate. I uh, commented upon this in the article Levitation, which was published years ago in the journal of the SPR, ASPR, and made me feel that levitation, like uh, prosperity, is just around the corner. So he thinks it's possible, but uh, he has never, even though he had that experience, he, he feels it. You know, it was it was just that. And that's somewhat reminiscent. Remember that childhood game? Did you ever do that? Where you all gather around somebody lying yes, stiff on yes. the floor? And right, we're all going to lift. Light as a feather. Stiff as a yeah, board, light as a feather. That's it. Yeah. And then you all lift them up together. Uh, all, that other, all that other one where you breathe continually in and out of a paper bag until you make yourself so lightheaded that you feel that you're flying. Or you pass out. Or you pass out. <laughs> but I'm... Um, it's interesting we talk about levitation because that was uh, Daniel Hume's um, most notable. Um, this was recorded by Lord Adair um, and he describes it thus. It took place at, at Adair's home in uh, Kensington, mm -hmm. London. Uh, it, it was repeated at Ashley Place, Westminster. Wow. Um, uh, apparently there was a ledge four inches wide below the windows. Uh, the ledge wanted, um, there was no foothold, uh, no balconies, uh, at all. The windows were 85 feet from the street. Wow. Um, up on the third floor. Um, 
and Holmes uh, Hume raises himself up, uh, floats out of the window. You said Holmes. I know. I was thinking of Sherlock then for some reason. Yeah. Hume, Hume, um, fl- the, there was also a gap between of about six feet between the windows. Um, mm. So he rises up, floats out of one window, and then floats back in the other window. This um, was witnessed. This was witnessed. He, he did it on a number of occasions in um, good lighting. So it wasn't done, you know, in absolute darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, was you know is that his most notable um, I suppose legacy mm-hmm. uh, that he he was the he also picked up hot coals uh, that was another one he would carry wrapped yeah, in his hair and a section in that book on upon uh, yeah. The, this uh, isn't the, this isn't walking on hot coals. Hope, uh, Hume would pick them up and hold them in his hands. And yeah, they, they he has glow. a section about uh, uh, I forget what this called, like the immunity to flame or the immunity. Uh-huh. To flame. Of course, so. and we're always. I mean, an early forerunner of um, Joe Nickel, a guy called Joseph McCabe. Oh, God, please, uh, your friend Joe Nickel. We're gonna have to get him on the show again. Um, wrote yeah, of the animal. alleged. <laughs> Wrote of the ale- of the alleged levitation. No one professes to have seen Home carried from window to window. Uh, Hume told the three men who were present that he was going to be wafted, um, and thus he set up a state of very nervous expectation. Both Lord Crawford and Lord Adair say that they had been warned beforehand that Holmes would waft out of one window in it. Lord Crawford then says he saw a shadow on the wall of Hume entering the room horizontally, as if. Um, the moon by whose light he professes to have seen um, blah 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 this testimony and according to McCabe this testimony is absolutely worthless Lord uh, Adair claims that he only saw Hume in the dark standing upright outside our window uh, on an almost moonless December night now that's a complete odds with well that's a complete odds with Adair and the other witnesses because um at Cheney's house, where he did another one of his, there were one, two, three, four, five, six witnesses, and it was in near broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we have again um, a skeptic, cherry, very carefully cherry picking, selecting. Yes. Uh, you know, others have suggested that uh, Hume had attached a rope to the chimneys of the roof and the building, and the building opposite. And then he hung the rope down the uh, unseen to the third floor, um, leapt out of the window, grabbed the rope, swung out, and then by a using a double rope manoeuvre, swung oh, himself God. back in. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't think even Spider-Man could do that. <laughs> but yeah, it you know, would take a huge amount of time to set it all up and yeah, everything. I mean... And they'd be saying, well, what's that rope from that chimney to that chimney for? Hey, oh, where, where's Daniel gone? We invited him round to, uh, for, for, oh, he's outside me, Lord. He's, he's tying ropes over the neighbor's chimneys. I don't yeah. know what the, I don't know what the dashed fool's doing now. <laughs> 85 feet up in the air. Uh, and yeah. where did he get all that rope from? Mm-mm. Oh, we should get, that. yeah, we should definitely get Nickel on. We, we did have one, uh, we had the girl on there, and of oh, course. Yeah. You know what we did to her, well, you, but uh, 
well, she believed in. Uh, anyway, uh, um, well, she's changed. Very she, she's changed sides now. Oh, she's going to the dark oh, side. She's, uh, well, she certainly doesn't like the skeptical movement any longer. And she used to be a great friend of Joe Nickel. Oh, really? Oh. I'm deliberately not saying her name because it'll just cause. I didn't say it, did I? Nope. And I'm not going to either. Okay. So, anyways, we do have to take a break. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we've been talking about... Uh, Anything and everything. Herewood Carrington's book, Psychic Oddities, which I find fascinating. I mean, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of reading. I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I, I'm trying to hunt down a copy because I don't okay. have a copy. And, um, well, you have to get one. I am. Um, yeah, because he was, he was, I, I, I he was one of those well, we early go seconds, great Steve. researchers. Sorry. I know. Yeah. Anyways, I, I want to wish uh, Maureen Wood a happy, happy birthday. birthday to so you. Yeah. Happy and birthday, Mr. Remember President. Remember today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom 386 Memory Street in Bethune, Massachusetts, and the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, not the Andover, Massachusetts, and extremely good friends on Patreon, on Ghost Chronicles Radio, on Patreon. And Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. Are we going to get the alligator hunters on too? Oh, we should, shouldn't we? We should get the gator hunters on. Yeah, the gator hunters. Okay, so there you go. Uh, good night, everyone. God bless and stay safe. Good night. All right. I got to try to switch computers. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck.